Let's jump into our text today. Let's talk into week three of our sermon series here called Sight. This is all focused around seeing ourselves, seeing the world, seeing God and others justly. What do we see when we look out of these eyes? And this series is really wrapped around those premises. This week, week three, we're talking about how do we see the world? How do you and I, in my day-to-day life, when I look out at what happens to me and around the globe, how do I see it in a way that accounts for my faith in Christ? And so today we're going to heavily dive into this word called citizenship. We're going to dive and have a discussion about what it means to be a citizen. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever just went to a coffee shop and said, you know what, sounds fun, let's get a coffee, let's talk about being a citizen. Probably not something that many of you do, but that's what we're going to do today. We're going to kind of set course in that area, and we're going to use, we're going to use two different pieces of Scripture, one of the Old Testament in Jeremiah, and then we're going to use another piece of Scripture in, Philipp, in Philippians uh, that Paul writes to the church at Philippi to kind of bring us some good thoughts about the area of citizenship. But before we do that, before we set course there, I want to have a really good general conversation about the state of the world. What is going on with the world today? today? Not, in, not in a way of like news or politics, but what do we know about the world? So two weeks ago, we talked about God and seeing God rightly. And in that, we said that God had no beginning and he had no end. He will have no end. And so that's hard for our minds to get around that, but he, he's always existed. And he, out of his own mouth, spoke into creation. He created everything out of nothing by his mere words, that God separated light from darkness with his words. He he made planets and solar systems, birds and fish, man and woman, all the things on this earth he made it. And during that creation and at the end of that creation, he said that all of those things were good. After he made you and I, he said, it's very good. I like what I see here. So God creates the world, and it's made up in this perfect union, perfect contentment, perfect, perfect flourishing. There's harmony amongst the chaos or amongst the cosmos. And then in an instant, we read in Genesis that it's broken. In the garden, sin and disobedience comes into the world through an act of deception, and all-out rebellion and chaos ensues from that point on. Sin and death enters that place that it never was before. And the perfect shalom, peace, the perfect fellowship, the perfect harmony that we once had in the cosmos, in the universe, and in between God and ourselves is fractured completely. It's broken. It's chaos has ensued since that point. And so we as Christians feel that brokenness every day of our lives. We feel the brokenness because God is so holy, he's so good, he's so righteous that he cannot be physically in the presence of sin and disobedience. And so in Genesis, we read that, that we, the creation, were driven out of the garden. We were driven out of the, the presence and the face of God. And this world was handed over to another ruler where there was that perfect shalom, peace between God and man, and God lived with his people, dwelled with his people, ruled his people. When it broke, this world was given over something else. It was given over to sin, and it's the ruler of this world is Satan, the deceiver. And this is what it says 
Paul writes this in 1 John. He says, we know that we are from God. Excuse me, not Paul. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And so this thing that we know as the earth is utterly fractured, utterly broken, full of sin, full of disobedience. There is outright enmity between God and his creation, and it is ruled by a force, the deceiver, who oppresses the creation, and, it, and he keeps his creation, God's creation, from seeing God himself rightly. In 2 Corinthians, Paul, this time, Paul writes in chapter 4, in their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's not only broken, but it says that we're blinded. We're blinded and we can't even see right. We can't see the light of God. We can't see the glory of the gospel fully. Scripture says that we have exchanged our truth for a lie, that we have made the unnatural the natural. And doesn't it certainly feel like that when you walk in this world that, that, man, we're believing lots of lies, that there is something that is unnatural to this that we've just kind of made natural. That's where we're at in this world. But in God's infinite love for us, he's never stopped thinking about us. He's never stopped working for us. Despite the fullness and presence of God, God has never forgot us. He launches a plan to redeem his people, to bring his people back to him, Grace through faith, grace that was granted to us by the death of Christ on the cross, and by faith and trust in Christ, we are made right in our sins, in our disobedience. We're made right in front of God, and the Holy Spirit then is given to us to guide us and move us, protect us, and to keep us until Christ returns. And until he does return, listen, there is going to be a battle with the Spirit of God that lives in us, trying to renew us and revive us in this world that is full of brokenness and sin, that is hostile to the things of God. And so, friend, all of this context to tell you this, things are not okay. They're not okay. Let's not be delusional to think that this world is somehow built on pretty good things. It's bent towards brokenness and evil. Things are not okay. And they won't be fully okay until Christ comes back. There's a tension that you and I live in as believers, as new creations in Christ a tension that we live in with this spirit that wants to overcome and have confidence and conquer inside of a world that's full of brokenness and sin. Maybe you feel that tension as I do. And so how is it that we as Christians, how do we hold fast to a belief in a good God and a gospel that redefines us and revives us while all the, all the time seeing and living in a world that seems to be hostile to the things of God? How do we live in this things are not okay world? 
where war and pestilence and disease and famine and chaos seem to be abundant for the citizens of this globe. How do you and I as Christians thrive in this things are not okay world? Well, I know one thing for certain. The answer could never be for you and I as Christians to posture ourselves as though we have achieved some sort of high road of morality. To posture ourselves as if we have put all this stuff together, that we have figured all of it out, that we have all of the answers. That's not what the world needs, nor is that what Christ asks of you in your relationship with the world. It doesn't speak honestly to the struggle that the Lord lays out in his word that is going to be presence for those who are adopted sons and daughters of Christ. There is a struggle in our lives to put out there that we have it all together, that what you need is just what I know, and if you would do what I know, then everything would be all right in your life. That's oversimplifying, oversimplifying the complexity of living as new creations in this broken world. Maybe you feel like I do. You feel stuck. Sometimes I just feel stuck in the in-between. Having this conquering spirit, but this tension in the world, stuck between what was and what is and what will be. But you don't always feel like you fit in almost anywhere. And so how do we do this well? Until Christ comes back, there's always going to be a fight, a tension in you that you have to understand. And listen, we have to explain well to be disciple makers. And so that's a little commentary about the state of the world. But a more pressing question for you and I is, how do we go about living in it? How do I see it that I might be able to live in it well and love it well? How do I thrive and flourish and so to do this, we're looking at this idea of citizenship. To be a citizen of, of a country, to be a citizens of a nation is multifaceted. If you would talk to multiple people and you say, hey, what does it mean to be a citizen? Which many people, I've never been asked that question. I have no idea. But if you're going to give you an answer, there's going to be thousands of different answers. But at its core, to be a citizen simply means that you belong to something larger. And that larger entity, whether it's a government structure, a kingdom, or a country, says, I'm okay with you being here. And you as the individual say, I kind of like it too. I'm okay with it. And as the larger entity looks at its citizens, it has responsibilities and duties towards those individuals. And the individuals then have responsibilities and duties towards the larger entity, the government. That's how citizenship at its core works. But what is unique about you and I, those of faith, is you have duality in your citizenships. You have dual citizenships. And I'm not just meaning people from Canada and America. Like, that's just not... Which, do you ever think that it would be cool to be kind of a Canadian citizen at times? I think that just to be able to say, eh? You want to go, eh? You want to go over there? Canuck, eh? Okay, that's just me. They got a thing called Pope. Poutine? It's like french fries and cheese? Okay. I'll keep my Canadian dual, dual citizenship, bring them alive here. We have dual citizenship, one of this world, the nations that you belong to, and one not of this world, the kingdom of God. We are citizens and we have, of two different places, and we have obligations of honoring both of them. 
We, through Christ, are adopted sons and daughters of God, citizens of the kingdom of God, and your ability to be able to see your citizenships well will be what helps you see the world well. And to do that, we're going to look at 1 Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to read about the story of the Israelites who are a conquered people in a different land, and then we're going to read about the most healthy church in all of the New Testament, the church in Philippi. And so in 597 BC, a little history lesson for you, there's a king named Nebuchadnezzar, and he besieges the city of Jerusalem, and for years he besieges the city to try to make it surrender. And after a few years, he ransacks the whole city, kills many people, citizens of Israel, Jewish people. He captures prominent citizens, important people, like the prophet Ezekiel. He captures King Nebuchadnezzar. And then the rest of the Jewish people flee in fear. And they head to parts unknown. They move in little packs to different, different, different places because they're fearful of King Nebuchadnezzar and what he might do. And so they just begin to set up shop in foreign countries and live there. And then a few years later, Jeremiah speaks a word from God to these exiles in another country, Israelites who cannot go home. Jeremiah speaks a word to them about how they should live in their time away from home. And those words have deep meaning for us. Because you and I, whether you know this or not, we are in exile. <laughs> this is not our home. We have something much better in store for us. We, as the Bible would say, are sojourners, just passing through, aliens in a foreign land. And this is why the word presses so much on us to not be conformed by this world. Do not take on the likeness of this world because it is not your home. You live here for the moment, but this is brevity. The scripture says this is all but a, a vapor compared to eternity. And so as foreigners, Jeremiah speaks some really good instructions on how one should live in exile away from home. And so these are instructions for God, so our, our, our ears need to be there to listen, our minds need to be open, our feet need to be ready to walk, and our hands ready to do what God instructs his people here in the word. And so we're going to look at Jeremiah 29 together. It's kind of a famous passage. In some ways, there's some really kind of core verses in this that Christians love to talk about, and we'll get to one of those today. Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7 says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may, not, they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not dec decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. These are some really good instructions on how we live in this world. There are three concepts for you and I who live in exiles, foreigners in a land that's not our own, 
things that we are to do in this earthly citizenship that, that Jeremiah pins here for us. And these are the traits that he kind of passes down to us as important. He says that we are to build and tend. So build your houses, tend your food, eat its produce. Take wives, have children, multiply and occupy. And bless and flourish the areas in which you live. And these things imply, like, have a good life. Set up shop somewhere, start a business, have a service, tend the ground, do what you need to, make yourself of value to the places that you live. Make yourself valuable to them. You should work, we should sustain in some ways that we're not a drag on the people and the places in which we live in. And notice that, that, that Jeremiah never said, hey, I need you guys to flock together. I know that they're thinking of bad things in that city that you're living. No, that's not what God's intent for you is. He says, I'm okay with you living wherever you're at. It doesn't matter what their values is or what they worship. Uh, My concern is that you would show the authenticity of me in you wherever you're at. It's not about where you live. It's about who you show. And so we can live anywhere because we have Christ in us. And so we build and we multiply and occupy, right? Take wives. I know that God has called people to be single. That's significant in the word. Like there's a reason and a hope for that. But most of us, he's called to have a family and then to make those baby things, right? We just make those baby, and I'm okay with you making more baby things in here. You might have to help Betsy care for those baby things in children ministry. But this is what, and you know what happens when you make families and, and, and make baby things? You increase your influence. You increase you're, you're being noticed in the community. Your, your population is growing. Your influence is growing amongst the people. So multiply where we're at. And then this is so important. We don't get this sometimes as Christians. Be a blessing to your community. Help them flourish. Work. Volunteer. Serve. Be exemplary in your your work in your community. Be the type of citizens that they would just revere and love. Because why? Because for, if you are working for the betterment and the flourishing of the city who li- you live in, guess who benefits from that? You do. We all do benefit from that kind of welfare. And that's why it says in that passage, for it is welfare, for in its welfare you will find welfare. So the better we serve, the better we work, the better more we bless, the more we volunteer in the places that we live, we make them outstanding and flourishing, and ultimately it's for our betterment and our flourishing. And so we are to be light in the midst of our community, pillars in our communities, honoring Christ in our lives and loving people in the way that God has called us to. And it should go without being said that as long as we're here, We are sharing about the good news of the one who affords us the possibility to live inside of a broken world with hope and anticipation and love. We share the gospel and the good news because we do have something better for us. You can endure lots of things if you know on the end of it there's lots of things better than what you're enduring. Like if your favorite place to go is Disney World, which I don't understand that, that's a side conversation, But if you drove there, you got, what, 20 hours? That drive is your life. Your life on this earth is like your drive toward Disney World. You have to endure that. Why? Because you're going to end up someplace that you really want to be. And so that is what a citizenship here on 
earth looks like. We have a promise for something better. Look at what the prophet Jeremiah writes in this. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. We have something immensely better than what we have here. And listen, if I was going to do a sermon series on what the Bible doesn't say, which I think would be fun, that verse would probably be in that sermon series. We misapply this verse into our lives too often. In context, this verse is about the people of God in exile, that he will bring them hope in a future someday. It wasn't written to Paul on Smithfield Road in Florida. It was wrote to God's people in general. Look, I, I know many people in my life who I love and I care for who love the Lord, whose lives are full of struggling and heartache, and their lives end it without much to do. This is not a promise for all individuals who know God. This is a promise as a whole that God's people will keep moving. And so listen, don't, don't misapply this because you make God a liar. If you think that he's going to make everybody on this world not go through tough things and evil, that, that at the end of this, like, you're going to just reach perfection and it's going to be good. That's just not the plight. But his people, we will overcome this world as a group. We have a future and a hope. We have a citizenship, not of this world. We have a citizenship in the kingdom of God, which is substantially better than anything that we could have on this world. And so let's jump into the book of Philippians here and understand this idea of what it means to be a citizen of heaven. Paul writes this to this church in Philippi. It's just a, it's a shining example of a great church. It's from the New Living Translation. It says this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I love the phrase citizens of heaven. It is a redefining phrase in our lives that you belong somewhere else and you have duties and responsibilities and luxuries and privileges because of it. Such a fascinating statement. And what is even more fascinating about this whole verse is, is to who it was sent to. This was sent to the church of Philippi, the, the most patriotic Roman city, bar none at the time of the New Testament. They loved their worldly citizenship. And why? Well, Philippi came out of this Roman civil war between a guy named Octavian, who would become Caesar Augustus, and a guy named Mark Anthony. Maybe you've read about them in your history books. Mark Anthony was supported by Cleopatra. And they had this giant civil war, Octavian wins. 31 BC, Octavian has a decision to make. What do I do with a losing army here? He could humiliate, dispose, 
kill? Rightfully so. Octavian is brilliant. He grants his opposing army full stature as veterans of the Roman army. And then he gives them full citizenship as a Roman citizen. And then he gives them land in the nearby city of Philippi where they settle. He had a moment where he could belittle these people, but he honored them. Do you know one of 10 people in the empire of Rome were, were actually Roman citizens? This is a big deal. And he created patriotic, loyal citizens to Rome. And do you know how many times the word citizen and citizenship is used in the text, in our word? Once. And do you know where you find it? Philippians. Why? Because Paul knows. He knows the pride that they have in civic responsibility. He knows the pride that they have in their citizenship. And he is absolutely challenging their mindset here. Now, if we could just find another group of people who have immense patriotism towards their country, I don't know where we would find that. A little sarcasm about getting Lee Greenwood to come here and sing Proud to be American, but Paul is challenging this idea of citizenship inside a culture that extremely loves and values their worldly citizenship. And I think we have to listen to these words too. We have to value these too. And so what Paul says as what traits of heavenly citizenship looks like is this. Traits of heavenly citizen is that we are to imitate and walk. Renew and challenge and anticipate and hope. Those are traits of heavenly citizenship. Imitate those who walk towards the image of Christ. Walk towards those who are following after Christ. Be imitators of Christ. Walk towards him. Renew our thinking. Challenge our thinking by the word of God and by the spirit. Don't challenge your thinking by the world, but instead, God wants to renew you as he challenges your perspective by his spirit and his word. And as a citizen, anticipate and hope we are, as it says, waiting for the Lord's arrival. So these are traits of citizenships in heaven. Do you see a difference in these themes here? On, on one hand, you've got build and tend, multiply and occupy, bless and flourish. And then on the other side, you've got imitate and walk, renew and challenge, anticipate and hope. And so if, if we just look at these things, one is done by the outer man, and one is accomplished by the inner man. And what I mean by that is, is the world gets this body. It gets what you do, it gets your service, it gets your tending, it gets your children and your multiplying, but what does the Lord get? The inner person, your soul, your heart. These are where these, those things work out, imitation, renewing, anticipating. Those are where those things work out. And, and we know in Scripture, in 2 Corinthians, it says that on the outside, our body is decaying, but on the inside, our spirit is being renewed every day. And so, listen, friends, what do you want to put your hopes and your esteem and your confidence in? A citizenship in a world that is decaying, that wants a body that's decaying, or 
do you put the priority on having a citizenship in a kingdom that doesn't perish with things that don't perish? Because when you die, what will be the Lord's? It won't be this body. Be a spirit. It's going to give us new stuff. And so that's why we talk about this. Like, don't ever let what you do define who you are. We, we so often do this in this world that, that mo- I'm a mom, I'm a teacher, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a, a, a doctor, I'm a pastor. That's who I am. But listen, someday you're not going to have kids in your home. Someday your role as a doctor is not going to be there. That is not your identity. Those are things that will perish. Who you are is the spirit. And these are the things that we walk in by the Spirit. Be imitators. And do you know what happens when we focus on the inside? It permeates outward. You can't fix a broken heart by doing behavior, but you can fix a broken heart by working on your soul, your heart, by transforming it by these things. So I'm going to have the band come up here, and we're going to kind of wind this down. Here's what we have to focus on today. How do we view the world? How do we see the world? Know this, is that things are not okay. Don't be delusional. There is a tension that you're going to live into. Understand your citizenships. You have two of them. Prioritize the right one. Be citizens of heaven first and citizens of this globe secondly. Value the internal, not the external. Put your hope there. Prioritize rightly. And so as we head into worship, what I want us to consider as we sing to our Lord, as we pray, is that you consider the things that God needs to move in your life, that he would give you vision of being able to align yourself with the right citizenship in that duality that we live in, that he would give you hope and anticipation for what is to come, and that he would give you a vision of the work that you need to do to get there as we die to self and live for Christ. And so let's take a moment to reflect today as we stand and worship our King. So will you stand with me?